Hello, and welcome back to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I am Maggie Ulmer, and on today's episode, Tony and I talk with Dr. Pete Bellini. That's right, the pastor of the pod is here to talk about what it means to discern the spirit or discern what's happening spiritually in the environment. It's a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. But we're excited to have a conversation today that I think would be helpful for a lot of people. Um, It was something I was thinking about when I was sort of early on in my journey with the Holy Spirit, and I would be around people who were more mature, more experienced in the Spirit, and they would say, oh, I feel the Spirit. And I would think, I feel cold, or I feel hungry. I don't know if I feel the Spirit. So Dr. B, today we just wanna talk a little bit about that. You know, what can you do if you are a person who doesn't feel like they feel the spirit? Yeah, or what does that even mean? Are we yeah. supposed to feel well, the spirit? Maybe we should talk yeah. about that. Let's, let's, start let's there. do that. What does it mean to feel the spirit? Well, I mean, we all have experiences in that. And uh, sometimes it's a, a feeling that's, that's very inward, that is, that is in your heart. And, I, and it's almost like... You know, Wesley talked about faith being a sixth sense, and mm. I believe that. I believe uh, Wesley and Fletcher talked about how we have inward or inner senses that we could, you know, feel, see, taste, touch, you know, the things of God, the things of the Spirit. Now, he doesn't mean that empirically like a physical taste, touch, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I think those things in the Spirit can manifest and it can become something physical. But he was talking about when the believer is awakened, they have comparable senses like you would have physical senses. Mm. And um, so he makes reference to that, you know, regularly. And I, I agree with that. I think we could hear in the spirit, see in the spirit, taste, touch, all that. So those are like, uh, I don't know, supra empirical, if you will. It's like kind of, you sense it, but it's above the empirical, the taste, touch, see, smell of this world. So I think that we've experienced that before where it's something that, you know, you just, sense God you feel God deep in in your spirit and you could you know maybe hear God's voice or sense his presence in a spiritual way and yet often it's it it can manifest even physically you may feel like a warmth or you know an electricity or you know a peace or anything something like that so I think you you know you you have both but I think it's uh, in saying that and it's wonderful when we feel the spirit, and we would like that all the time. And I think that's kind of the predicament that, you know, spirit-filled people fall into, and that is to be led by that. Mm. We're, we're le- we walk by faith, right? Not by the senses. So mm. it's Corinthians, Second Corinthians, five says we walk by faith and not by sight. So we don't walk by the senses; we walk by faith. We don't even walk by by our own reason. We're not justified by reason. We're justified by faith. So it's a faith walk. And like it says in Hebrews 11, talks about Moses saw that which is unseen. You know, he by faith, you could see the unseen. I think it's Wesley's talking about with this, with this sixth sense. And so I think we need to learn to walk by faith. And even though we get those sensations and we shouldn't dismiss them and think, oh, any feeling is not of God, I think the mainline and protestant church has done that for a long time our services are wired for you know uh our reason 
you know, they're very linear, they're very sequenced in order, they're very propositionally based, and there's very little room for the human emotion. Mm. You know, we, we, we go to church, we worship God with our minds, you know, we're following the next thing in the bulletin, we're paying attention, but there's never a place where, to, where we feel emo the emotive part like we would at a football game, getting loud and screaming. That doesn't happen in my denomination much. So you have, you know, you, you, you have that, that there's a condemnation of, of feelings or a blocking of feelings. Mm. And we don't want that because God wants us to worship him with our full humanity. And he wants to engage us and fellowship with us in our full humanity, which means, you know, our emotions. That's how we live. I mean, we can't run around this world without, you know, emotions. So, uh, so the next time the pastor's preaching, I should start screaming, let's go! At your own risk, yeah. <laughs> So on one hand, you don't want to forbid feelings, but on, and, and that, that, that's maybe my mainline denominational experience, but the Pentecostal charismatic spirit-filled experience I've had is people want to regularly walk by their feelings because it feels good. You almost become addicted to what all of the fireworks that God does and in, in, in our brain and the chemicals that it releases, and it's wonderful when it happens, but you guys all know in the spirit just like in the natural, the sun doesn't always shine. You need days of rain. You know, you yeah. need all the seasons and cycles for growth to happen in the natural, just like you, and then in the spirit, you need it as well. So I want to say, be open to feelings, Amen. Don't look to be led by feelings. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We walk by faith. And above all, I think, when in terms of walking by faith, God's our object not ourselves mm -hmm. my monitor isn't on me going oh, how do i feel i got to feel this i got to feel that because then we're going to make that experience an idol and i think that's what happens in the pentecostal charismatic churches sometimes you know what's the next phenomenological thing god's going to do that i want to chase chase right. after so i think when sometimes we don't sense god's presence or we don't feel it whether it's in the spirit or empirically we have to remember that god's given us already a map Mm -hmm. a sure word of prophecy. He's given us the scriptures. Mm. And so we need to read that word, meditate on that word, process that word, which ultimately means practice the word, so it becomes a part of us. Because ultimately what we're really looking for is we're, we're searching after the Lord. He's the object. And we want the mind of Christ. See? We want the mind of Christ. We want to think his thoughts naturally. That's the, that's the map where we can know what to do because we've already been in God's Word. God's Word has shaped our thinking, has shaped our being, shaped our actions. And so naturally we're being, you know, in this Christoformity, if you will. And so knowing God's will in the form of Christ. So knowing God's will starts to become natural in terms of how do we follow the Spirit. Mm. And so you have this, you know, the, the, you have the Scriptures the sure word of testimony that will always lead us right. That's the, that's the tuning fork. That's, you know, I play instruments, play guitar, I don't play them very well, but I'm tone deaf. So I can't tune a natural E by, by, on my own unless I really think of a song that I know that starts in E. So I always need my, my little pitch pipe. My pitch pipe is the standard. It's always on, you know, it's on key, and I adjust my guitar to the pitch pipe when I'm off. Well, it's like everything else. I got to adjust the apparatus of my senses, my spiritual senses. That's always got to be put in tune with the pitch pipe, which is the scriptures. Mm. Then, you know, it's, it's easier to hear God, and that's how we get the mind of Christ. It's developmental. It's a process. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's a rigorous process of becoming more like him.
So it comes out of you know, walking in righteousness. That's how we know God. So what would you say to... Long answer. No, it's a great answer. That's what we're here for, the yeah. long ones. The long ones. What would you say to um, a leader or a pastor who is trying to, you know, make more space for the things of the Holy Spirit in their churches or in their communities? And they're saying, but I, I just have a hard time discerning when the Holy Spirit is moving corporately. Um, I have a hard time hearing so that I can respond. Yeah, I think that comes in your private in your private prayer life. If you don't know how to discern God's voice in the prayer closet, mm. you're not gonna be able to discern God's voice corporately. Yeah. Uh, it's even a little harder because it's, it's a- More people. There's Yeah, there's more stimuli and it, it, it can crowd your mind so it gets harder. But when one learns how to hear God in their private prayer closet regularly, and then learns when they shut the door of their prayer closet, they're not shutting the door on the voice of the Holy Spirit, but they're promising God, God, as you speak to me and as I'm attentive here, I want to be throughout the day. And they start to practice that, practice the presence of God, mm -hmm. practice hearing God amidst all of the, the, the noise that's around. It's a discipline. And once, they're, once they do that regularly, it takes time. It's not something like a quick fix and, oh, I'm going to be able to do it overnight. It takes a lot of discipline. Uh, and, and and practice and years of walking in the spirit where then you could go in other environments and you're able to regularly sense the presence of God and how God wants to move not only when it's obvious and it's more tangible when it's more empirical and you know everyone I mean God's like hitting people in the head with bricks and stuff yeah. and you'd be, <laughs> you'd be, you'd, you know you really amiss if you can't pick that up you mm -hmm. know so yeah I think it's not it's not easy it it takes you know, time in a prayer class. We have a saying in boxing, I box and run a boxing club ministry. You're, you're never any better in the ring than you are in training. Mm. You, you can't expect to make shortcuts in training, not run the extra lap, not learn how to you know, throw a certain punch, and then somehow when you get in the ring, it's all gonna just come together, ta-da, it doesn't. Uh, it, you have, they have to have the preparation. So I kind of feel the same way there, and that's what happens a lot of times people just get in the congregation they cannot sense the presence of God well I think they haven't been trained in how to hear God's voice um, and take that from the prayer closet to when you're in church and I would take that even further when you're in public it's even harder mm -hmm. churches at least usually you know a gathering of believers that are for the most part consecrated they're trying to hear God they're trying to submit to the Lord so there's a an openness but like at your workplace, you know, that may not be the same environment. Yeah. So even there, it's even harder. And I think it's in with the way wickedness is on the rise <laughs> majorly. I know it always is, but man, it seems to be really crafty and creative in these days. It, it gets harder and harder for people to hear. Even Christians, they don't, they can't even read the newspaper without maybe veering from the the, the, the scriptural truths that should be in their mind, and they're flip flopping, or they got incongruent views. You know. They may believe something that the, the culture believes and yet in some ways believe things that scripture says and sometimes, you know, they're, they're, they're incongruent. Can we drill down for a second on this idea of a prayer closet? Because I, I think that there are a lot of leaders who are like, what do you mean by prayer closet? Yeah. Like, I don't even have a... I don't even have a, a prayer mat, <laughs> you know what I mean? So so maybe you could tell us about your prayer closet mm. and how you use it as a place, as kind of your foundation. I happen to know a little bit because you've shared, but it's the foundation of your entire life. Yeah, if I don't have that. Yeah, man. so so how, if you're talking to 
uh, a guy who, who knows Jesus but wants to follow Jesus a little bit more closely, how are you telling him or her to set up or posture their prayer closet right. for uh, a spirit-led life? Right, right. Well, you know, we're supposed to be in relationship with Christ. That's mm -hmm. what this is all about. We have fellowship with him. We walk with him. We know him. He knows us. Well, like any relationship, the primary uh, way that we get to know each other is by communicating, by, by listening to each other. It's a dialogue um, and, and getting to know one another through hearing and through speaking. Well, that's what prayer is, isn't it? Prayer is a dialogue with God. And if I don't spend a lot of time with you, Tony, or with Maggie, you know, just sitting down over a cup of coffee and, and just you talking to me and sharing what's going on in your life and I share what's going on in my life, you know, how much do I really know you? Mm. You know, how much do I really know who you are when I don't hear your heart? You know, I could assume a lot of things, but most likely they're not true. So in a relationship, you've got to take time. So number one, you've got to take time. You know, we're looking at the basic context and background of all reality is what? Space and time. It's four dimensions. You've got to have space and time for prayer. You've got to have time set aside, quality time. I know that's a horrible word people don't like to hear or whatever. No, it's been used good. so many times, meaning you're not rushing through. It's not perfunctory. It's like, oh, let me get this prayer done real quick because i got to get out of here. you got to make a decision that you are not going to go through pr your prayer life that way. That is not a prayer life. That is just you perfunctory going through whatever you need to do to appease your conscience to say you prayed today. Mm -hmm. You've got to give quality time. And since our minds are so encumbered by the, the daily noise and stresses. It takes time to unwind. It takes time to give that all to God until we have peace, until we hear a still small voice. You gotta give God the time needed. And I will not leave my prayer closet for the most part. So Lord, hear me, you know sometimes I may fudge. I try not to. But I do not leave my prayer closet unless I have a breakthrough and I have peace. Hmm. God, in other words, God tells me when to leave. I don't mm -hmm. tell God I'm going now, I gotta go to work. If I gotta go to work, I gotta get up earlier then or whatever. So God usually tells me when it's over. I wait for the witness of the Holy Spirit where God excuses me from prayer. Mm -hmm. I don't excuse God from prayer. So it, you gotta give God a time. And then, so I give God time. So I pray in the morning. What, the first thing I do when I get up, you don't have to do what I do, but I pray in the morning. I mean, I get up out of bed, I sign, my, I sign, I sign myself triune kind of bless myself before my feet hit the bed yeah and i tell the lord i love him and everything before i hit my feet at the bed and then i go in my prayer closet and i pray um and i'm gonna explain that the space but you got to give god time and i do it at night i do it i pray with my wife at night together and then i pray separately for whatever things i feel i need to pray aside because i don't pray for myself when i'm with my wife i usually just pray for my family and all the other concerns and i'm i pray for myself last and then I go pray for uh, myself. So I pray in the morning, pray night. And then, of course, during the day, I pray as needed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know how that yeah. goes. Something happens, all so you pray. And, of course, throughout the day, you're praying without ceasing. You're trying to always be Christ-minded mm -hmm. throughout the day. You're trying to, and that's a big thing, too. But when God excuses me from the prayer closet, there's usually one word he, he gave me or has already given me a, a day or two or three ago that I keep on my mind all day. I try to always come to that center where I never lose focus or lose, you know, true north. That's my center point, whatever God's given me. I meditate on that. 
that verse, that thought, that revelation throughout the day. And that's really what keeps me focused also and helps me where I'm already in the presence of God and already been tuned and I'm staying in tune because I'm listening to whatever God's given me. Because mm. I'm going to need it during the day when something goes wrong or, or I need discernment or I got to make a decision. You know, I, I don't want to do the, <clears throat> I don't want to sweep up after the fact. In other words, do something dumb, say something dumb, and mm. then I know my night prayer is going to be, oh, Lord, forgive me that I was impulsive. And I, I don't want to live, I mean, I haven't saved too long to live like that. That's stupid. It's just like in sports or something. When you know the basics, you know, you can't go up there and do something, you know, just that's fundamental, a cardinal rule of baseball or football or boxing or whatever. You see it with athletes sometimes. They, Come on, the ball was right in your hands. I, I could have caught that when I was a, a nine-year-old in Bantam football. And you see this guy making $10 million, and he dropped the pass. That Man, he hit him in a bad place, you know, right between the numbers. <laughs> so I don't want to do that in prayer. So, and then, so the space portion of it is I actually have literally a little chapel carved out. You don't have to have that. It, it's more what it functions for. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need a place where you can be quiet and hear you know, God. You don't want to hear noise and all that, and you want to be kind of set apart so you're not distracted. So I actually have a little closet. My house is made perfectly for it. There's this little cubby hole kind of thing that we never know what to do with it. My wife's like, oh, you can use it as an office and everything. And I never did it for that, so we, Lord told me to do it as a prayer chapel. So I'm, I, when I pray and everything, I'm more high churchy. So I have icons in, in there and a kneeler and incense and the whole nine yards, the bells and smells. And, uh, and I meditate and on, you know, on the Lord there. Sometimes an icon will stimulate something. I have the Nicene Creed on the wall. I mean, you name it, it's all there. So it's, it's equipped to pray. You know, I can, you can literally go from left to right and read my theology through the icons from one to another. And uh, they're almost like prayer stations. So we need some sort of prayer guides, prayer helps, because prayer is not easy. You know, the disciples were like, hey, man, we cast out devils, man. We, we're, we're doing miracles. We're healing the sick and everything. We don't know how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Prayer, prayer was harder than that. Mm. <laughs> they were already following Jesus, doing stuff, but they didn't know how to pray. So prayer is difficult. It takes time, and you need helps and things that assist you. I also have a stereo in there or whatever, a boom box or whatever. And uh, I play music because music helps me get in the spirit. Sometimes I just need to soak. You know, mm -hmm. In other words, just play some anointed worship and just shut up and just give myself over to God and soak in his presence. There's a lot of different ways for me personally, and maybe different for others, as to how I get in the presence of the Lord, and uh, that's how I do. And sometimes I'll pray rote prayers. Sometimes I'll just pray. I pray the Lord's prayer every day, but then I'll also there's times for spontaneity. Like last night, I was going to go right into just uh, some basic rubrics that I know how to pray for things because my wife went to bed a little early. We just did the Lord's Prayer together. No, we did pray a little bit more than that, but I was going to cover more thoroughly all the areas that we pray for family and all that. And I was going into that, and then I felt the Lord take me in a total different direction, and the Holy Spirit came upon me strongly, and he was revealing things prophetically to me. And I just had a few visions, so I was, like, receiving those, praying into those, and I could just tell when the Lord's, like, he gave me that, and is there's more. Okay, Lord, there's more. Let's just go deeper. And you could just tell. I just know in my spirit intuitively that God wants to give me more. I keep walking every step I take. He pours out more, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you got to give God the space. Whatever that looks like, you got to give God that quiet time, that quiet place, so that you can be intimate with the Lord. So uh, can I ask you a question, Pete? Well, obviously I can. I'm on this podcast with you. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm intrigued by... 
um, you're saying that, you know, when the, the Lord excuses you, because I've, I've practiced, you know, sort of what I would call contemplative prayer or, mm-hmm. or intercessory prayer for many years. And there used to be a moment, I, I just surrendered to it at some point, but there would be a moment where all of a sudden I would feel sort of the presence kind of dissipate. Yeah. And then initially when I, the first time I sort of began to feel that, I thought, oh, I did something wrong. But then I just realized, oh, no, it's just over. It's just done. That's yeah, all. Yeah, kind of just like gradually lowers the volume. The vol- it's like a song fading Exactly, out. yeah. And, yeah, because you have peace with it. If you didn't have peace with it, and I, then I will know that I'm kind of trying to, you know, truncate or avoid Rush the it process. along, and I yeah. Could tell, I could tell in my mind, because I'm so used to doing it, I could tell when I walk into the prayer closet what my attitude is. Am I really going to be resting and or am I thinking to hear God or am I thinking in the back of my mind, man, I got two meetings coming up. I got no time. And then of course, at that point, I know I'm going to kind of rationalize in my brain subconsciously to shortcut out of it. Yeah. No, that, that's it. I'm, I'm glad to hear you clarify that, that turning down the volume thing, because that's what I've sort of just come to experience. And so it's good to also hear someone else say that. Yeah. I, I would imagine that there's somebody listening right now who's like, prayer closet like I, I can't go five minutes without getting distracted or, or interrupted or interrupted or like h- how do you build this muscle of mm. of intercessory prayer and hearing the the spirit in your in the depths of your soul like h- how long does that how long did that take for you and and to that you know that young parent of three kids who may you know may have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to steal those moments how, how do you um how do you go from distracted to devoted? Yeah, I, I think in life we we ultimately will do what we want to do. Yeah. Mm, in tell the me end, more about that. <laughs> that's in real. The, in the end, I don't think God will have any problem judging us. He'll just let, let us judge ourselves by our own motives and what we do. Mm. You know, whatever we want in life, we will find a way and make make a way to do it ultimately. That's true. Whether it's to do something or to be lazy and not do something. We will end up doing what we want to do. I think it's the nature of the will. Uh, it's part of my teaching on the law of the will. And so what you want, it's in your wanter. Your will is your, your wanter, your want-to-do thing. And you will always do somehow what you want to do, and you'll make way and space for it. Now, um, granted, let me just say this. I, I, this probably means more than what I'm going to say, and if people know me will go, yeah, that's an understatement. I'm kind of unusual as a Christian. <laughs> Was that the part? <laughs> uh, in that, you know, I'm very, like, intense, mm. and everything's, like, maxed. A lot is maxed with me. So when I got converted, I got converted pretty radically. It's just like when I was not converted and I was living for the world, I was pretty radical. Just ask any of my, my friends. But when I got converted, I was pretty radical. So I knew from the get-go that, man, God was my life my anchor if I don't get him if I don't hold on if I don't hear from him I'm not going to make it I was in a desperate situation when I got converted so there was always that desperation there where I was I knew the world's resources were exhausted I knew there's nothing out there that's going to do what Christ can do so the priorities were already established early and you need to establish those priorities early and Jesus needs to be 
that one in your life where you're desperate. He is literally who he says he is in John. Mm. He, when you're thirsty, he's your water. You're not going to another fountain. When you're hungry, he's your bread. You're not going to another loaf, another bakery or whatever. You know, he's everything. You know, when you need to see, he's your light. You're not going to angels that appear as light. You know, you got that down. When you do that, then the priorities are, are there. That's called lordship. And I hate to say it, I don't want to be judgmental. It just seems by the fruit that sometimes Christians aren't always walking in the lordship of Christ. Amen. When you have that settled and he's your want to, it's like, no, nothing's going to stop me from getting in that prayer closet. I mean, you're like a, an, an, like a food addict ready to hit the refrigerator. Nothing's going to stop me from getting my midnight snack. Now, all that said, and I think you cultivate that by praying for that god i don't have that give me a hunger yeah, give me a hungry. thirst for you i want a hunger and thirst for you put a desire in my heart to pray i had that early on and then early on god showed me when i went deeper into prayer you're called to be an intercessor and i'm going to give you more and it became more and more realizing it's my life okay all that said you, you pray for the hunger and thirst okay what about the practical circumstances you know i was young once <laughs> uh, i was newly married once yeah, uh, I had children sure. once. I have. I had a son who did not sleep for the first four or five years of his life. Man, wow. yeah, I walked him at nights. I mean, sometimes I had to walk him and hold him. He was crying all night. Sometimes I didn't get any sleep. Um, I remember those days. Well, I have to look at the times then that I did have open, and I would pray. But sometimes I would have to make do with learning to pray while I was doing this. I had to multitask. That's me carrying. And I used to have to walk with my son because as soon as I stopped walking, he would cry. You know how that is, mothers or fathers. You you got that real precarious recipe that if it's off a little bit, oh god, you know. And then, well, and mostly I wanted my son just to just cry. Well, you know, there's different parenting skills, strategies, different <laughs> cultures. In Sicily, we don't do that. And so my wife was like, "No, you can't have Aaron cry." And here's all the reasons why my mother told me you can't allow that. So I compromised. And uh, I picked him up when I didn't want to. All that to say, you know, I was a peacemaker and still am. Uh, <laughs> peacemaker. You are but a peacemaker. I would learn to do it in weird, odd times while my son was screaming his head off, if that's what it took. But I was going to pray. In that time, but in those times, I would pray in tongues. It made it a lot easier. Yeah. It made it a lot easier. I didn't have to focus as much. It didn't take all the mental exertion. Didn't have to do as take yeah. as much. But I would find whatever time I needed to pray, and I would pray. And a lot of times it was at odd hours. Do you think if you it, want to do it, you'll do it. Yeah, yeah. If if I could just offer something in those moments when when I was really strapped by my circumstances, it made it hard for for there to be quiet, concentrated time where I could hear all of the little intricacies of what the Lord was saying, I would just say, Lord, I'm, I'm making an offering. Yeah. I'm offering myself to you. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've got. Right. And right. he wants and, your heart. And so that's what you were doing. Yeah. And that's what he wants. And I remember other times where, you know, days I would maybe have to fudge or whatever because things were running late and there was a lot of circumstances in the morning. I understand kids get sick, something happens, boom, boom, boom. You know, someone's tire breaks and I got to, you know, blows and I got to go do this real early because someone's stranded on the road. I understand that too. So, you know, boom, I got a car. I got a car with a, with a music, with stereo, CD back then. But now, you know, you can hook everything up to your whatever your device is and listen to whatever man i'll worship in the car i'm that person amen at the red light when you look over and it's like they're insane <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. awesome yeah so 
however, wherever. I'd be worshiping in my car if I had to. But I want to get that time. And, Lord, I don't want to shortchange you because I love you and I need you. I don't want to get into legalism where it's perfunctory because then I'll just, you know, go through the motions. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of started off this dialogue about what to do when you're not feeling the Spirit. And yeah. it took us to prayer. Um, uh, every podcast right, eventually goes back to prayer. <laughs> that's why we love Amen. it. Amen, and it should. <laughs> and it should, and it should. Um, <laughs> how do we discern uh, the dry seasons, right? So, so even if you're in prayer, let's say you're in prayer, we all know that there are seasons in our faith walk where it feels like we can't feel the spirit. And maybe we're maybe we're praying and maybe we're still doing that, but then the moment we leave our prayer closet or the moment we step out into the world, it feels like we're all alone. How, how do you recommend tackling those uh, seasons in the wilderness or dry seasons or seasons where we're constantly being tempted? Yeah, there's a lot of different things there. Where seasons where you're being tempted or maybe seasons where you're dry. They may not always be the same thing. Again, I think it takes a lot of discipline and practice because I think eventually if you're back to what we first said if you're if you are walking by faith and not by feeling mm. and if you are walking by uh, the, the if you're flying by the instrument panel the scriptures you know if that's your map that's your atlas then you're, you're already going to be past the place where you're worrying about feelings and all of that mm. I've been through my you know dark night of the soul where, you know, I'm someone who usually hears God. I remember going through a dark night of soul for like, I don't know, a couple of years, and it's just like dead, nothing. But I knew that was the season that I was in because I knew there was nothing that particularly that I was doing that was, you know, maybe causing that, but that's just the season, the place where I was walking through. But when you walk by faith, it doesn't matter then. That's what's so awesome. You, you transcend the circumstances. Your, your, yeah. your faith, your walk, and who Jesus is in your life is not dependent on your circumstance or the mountains in your life that seem to proportionally diminish the size of God. So I think walking by faith is important. And again, it's a discipline. Walking by the Word is a discipline. And you got to say, hey, the Word's true. God's faithful. God doesn't change no matter what I'm going through. And then you learn that you're not going up and down by your feelings. Um, I couldn't live a Christian life like that because at that point I'm not serving God. I'm serving my feelings. Yeah. My feelings are conditioning me. My, my fe- I've given uh, power to my feelings, and I, and I can't do that. So, you know, ultimately you got to walk by faith, and it, takes, it does. It takes a lot of a lot of time. Now there's times where again you feel dry in your prayer closet and you have to learn how you're wired and to be able to recognize that and what it may take you know to kind of break that cycle if it's you. You know if you are feeling a little dry. Sometimes I'll go to written prayer. Sometimes I'll pray for them from the Book of Common Prayer where I don't feel like man I'm this connected. Well I know that these people who crafted these prayers were inspired at the time and they seemed to be a nice help to take me into the presence of God because you know they were experiencing God when they wrote those and and some of them are more anointed than others so I could read a book of common prayer maybe or read a devotional from Oswald Chambers or E. Stanley Jones or the Bible usually does it for me but if I need a little bit of extra or if I need to soak more in the spirit and and worship more and sometimes you just need someone to pray for you for a breakthrough in your in your prayer life but there you you know how you're wired and you know what what you need for you to be yielded and surrendered you know 
Some people have no problem multitasking. They could hear God with kids running around downstairs and everything. I, I guess I've learned to do that. I've learned to do that. You learn to do. You can condition yourself to do anything. Again, it's the want to. And I know that message is so contrary, and it's not what people want to hear. I know a lot of times I do podcasts. I'm not a popular. Uh, I, I don't come off with the same, you know, anecdotes and prescriptions and and platitudes that the common popular preacher may. You know, the whole, here's the quick fix. Here's your three easy steps and all that. Uh, and there's there's no there's no shortcut. Nope. When you're carrying a cross. It's not a joystick, as I say in the book. So I know it's not like we like to hear, but come on, Jesus isn't worth it. <laughs> it's the pearl of great price. You sell everything you have once you found it. Maybe you That's haven't right. found it yet. Maybe you're not looking. So this actually, I, f- I feel like, um, leads into something that I'm wondering. I'm curious about the relationship between walking by faith and discernment. So if you're a person who maybe doesn't have a, a a lot of phenomenological experiences of the Holy Spirit, and you're surrounded by people who do. How do you participate in discerning how to, particularly for leaders? I mean, I, I mean, I, I've been in the same denomination you're in, and uh. and I've always been a person who's been like, oh, I, I feel like I know what's going on in the room spiritually, but I haven't always been around other pastors who are like. Oh yeah, I'm right on the same page well, with I'm you. Well, yeah, being in that denomination, that's the norm. Yeah. Uh, you always feel like you're kind of the odd one that's out of you're you're yeah you're yeah. marching to a different drum. That's true. I mean, you meaning yeah. people like us. Yeah, people, Holy Spirit weirdos. In, so in our denomination. Yeah. So how do you? But like, but that doesn't mean that. The thing I'm, I want, people to be encouraged in is like you don't have to have a strong you know, uh, phenomenological set of experiences in order to be a, a called shepherd or a called leader over a group of people that I'm just curious, like, how do you discern the movement of the Holy Spirit without having like a big, you know, or not even big, but just if you're a person who's like, I'm not super confident in this, but I do walk by faith. I know that the Lord does these things. I'm not personally feeling a lot of it. Yeah, I, I think as you mature, you learn more and more uh, to walk that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's walking by the truth of the scriptures, again, yeah. the sure word. And, uh, um, you know, being in the community of faith and worshiping together and taking the sacraments and going through the means of grace. These are all ways in which we can yeah. we can discern. We can discern in fellowship. When you and I, us guys, when we get together and we talk, you know, I may be uncertain of something. I can ask you and you could strengthen my faith. You know, by what you say, so we, you know we can we can hear God through so many things, through through creation, through a day out at the lake, um, through our own conscience, of course, through reading the scriptures, through our family, through our friends, through the way circumstances you know unravel. We can be we can be you know led and see God's. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not led by circumstances, but sometimes we can interpret circumstances led by the Holy Spirit, where we see oh God's providentially working in such a way and allowing this and this to happen and we have to be content with that that's the point i think that'll keep us away from the excesses of being of walking by feelings mm. you can't set your you can't set your gps to feelings like that we got to set our gps to him and i like the old uh, church fathers and the old mystics you know they understand that there's a point in our maturity kind of like a ladder of ascent uh, a lot of you, a lot of the mystics use that framework and i don't consider myself a mystic proper but there's a lot i draw draw from them 
that you know we we at first it's natural to be led by the sensible reality mm -hmm. sensible things you know we know from creation we can you know arrive and fur to the divine and the sensible things either physically sensible or don't even super empirical things we mm -hmm. feel in our spirit even but they talk about after that god wants to wean you off of that yeah yeah. He literally wants to wean you off of that so that you no longer lead, need those kind of aids and assistance where you're ultimately just you know, seeing him who is invisible. There's like a raw, pure, naked faith, if you will, that has nothing to go on. That's why the dark night of the soul is so cool. It burns away and purges everything because there is no place a mad. You can't find God anywhere. You're like in a desert wherever you look. Yeah. Look up desert. Look you know, down desert. It's a great place to be because it purges us. It, it purges and purifies our heart to not lean on those experiences, yeah. aids, and, 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 and that kind of assistance. And we just, we're going on nothing but pure faith of who he is, who he says he is. And there's, I mean, everything's going adversely. He wants to train us to be able to walk like that. And I think that's what the early disciples and, and the apostles did. That's the only thing that can lead you through martyrdom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With a smile on your face like Stephen. You must be, Stephen, you're, you're getting tortured. You're getting beat. You're smiling like an angel. Something, you must be seeing something else other than what is happening to you. <laughs> <laughs> because if, you, if you're paying attention to what's happening to you, it's terror. Yeah. Well, he must have his eyes on something else. Yeah, I feel we've mentioned a few times or you've mentioned, you know, dark night of the soul, dark night of the senses. And uh, as I realized the whole time we're talking about this, I'm thinking of St. John of the Cross, who wrote those texts because he um, was in the Carmelite order and he he was writing a sort of under the tutelage of Teresa of Avila. Mm -hmm. He was writing a means, a process, a means of um, really a process by which the members of the order of the Carmelites could could achieve union with Christ. And he would always just talk about, like, you can't be driven by these supernatural experiences. Like, in fact, if I remember correctly, he's like, he was a big advocate of, that's fine, that's great, that's not the thing. Hmm. You know, it's all yeah. well and good to have those moments. Yes, yes. But, those are just steps yeah. at best to, the, to, to going deeper and going higher. But ultimately, you know, it's when there's nothing sensible there at all that you're walking by faith. Now, again, a lot of, you know, we're not used to that in our culture. We, you know, that's not what you're going to hear on, on Sunday every day. But that's why our church in America is in the shape it's into. Mm -hmm. If that's the kind of Christianity you want, then look all around you. That's what you got. And that's the level that the church is walking in. I don't want that. If that's all the church can offer, it looks just like the world, I'll take. I'll go back to the world. I can at least get more benefits. <laughs> it's true. Making a little more money out there. <laughs> uh, well, guys, we, we covered a lot of ground today. Uh, <laughs> we, what I think, I think my biggest takeaway, and I'm going to ask Maggie for your biggest takeaway okay. next, and then Dr. Bellini will give you the final word. Um, I, I think my biggest takeaway from today's conversation is uh, no matter what you're feeling, mm. Keep walking by faith. Yes. Yes. No matter no matter what what kind of mood you're in, what you you're thinking, just keep walking by faith. And not an irrational. It's not an irrational faith. It's a faith that's grounded in the word in of the word, God and the right. character yeah. of God. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I love it. It's not just some irrational leap. Yeah. 
I, I mean, my takeaway is is always the thing I struggle with is to not rush out of the presence, you know, to not rush out right, of my good. my time with the Lord. And um, I think sometimes it's just it's just like with any other relationship. The deeper it goes, sometimes you you feel like you have an an allowance that gives you the um, permission to take it for granted a little bit, like oh, it's going to be there later. But um, and while in that may be true because God is infinitely gracious, that is actually not beneficial. So that's that's a Amen. little reminder I'm having right now. Amen. Dr. B, final word? Well, I think you guys have said it. You know, we're, we're walking by faith. We, we have the word of God in us, which is important. <clears throat> you know, spiritual exercise has some profit. Mm. Or, or physical exercise has some profit, Paul says in Timothy. But spiritual exercise is really profits to godliness and it's an exercise it's not a coincidence that paul often used the metaphors of you know sports metaphors you know and uh the early church thought of themselves as spiritual athletes as mm. athleticism it's compared to and then in places like in second timothy he picks like maybe the three hardest vocations toughest vocations uh to compare the christian life to and he's it's a farmer a soldier and you know an athlete you ever done any farming before, you know, or bailing? Hey, I, I, I'm not a farmer, but when I ministered in a country, I did that sort of thing, and it's, it's not easy, you know, or soldiering. Tony, you was a soldier or athlete. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, was an athlete, kind of an old one now, but it's a, it takes everything. Yeah. But in the end, the prize is worth it. This, this is, you're, you're gaining, he says in that passage about spiritual exercise, you're gaining godliness. You're, you're, your, what you are gaining, your benefit is you're looking more like the Lord. I mean, that's eternal. Yeah. Everything else is rust and sawdust. Amen. Amen. Emma, anything to add? Perfect. <laughs> Guys, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. And the highest compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. We're excited to be back soon with another episode from the Spirit and Truth Podcast.